Give it up for the Beverly Hillbillies. Come on now. Now, I grew up watching the Beverly Hillbillies, and I must say, I probably learned a lot of my theology from the Beverly Hillbillies and Andy Griffith and whatnot, but uh, one of the things that, uh, that I love about the Beverly Hillbillies was their simplicity and also remind me of much of my family. I hope they don't listen to this, this tape, but, um, but I came up in, in a culture, not quite that backwards, but a little bit, and uh, I love them. I love the simplicity, the honesty, and all that. But but there's some there's another takeaway that that is a little disturbing about that. And one is that even though Jed Clampett hit the mother load when he shot that gun into the ground, and up from the ground came a what? A bubbling crude oil that is black gold. Texas tea, and even though he, he hit the mother load there, the problem is, is that even though he came out of that situation and they moved to Beverly Hills because that's a place you ought to be, and so when they loaded up the truck and they moved to, then it, with, you know, swimming pools and, see, when they moved there and did that, then, then here's the problem, is that the poverty thinking and the poverty mentality that they were brought up in out there back in the woods back home in the hills never really came out of them if you were one who watched the show i mean they all they had more money than they knew what to do with there were always other people opportunists coming along trying to take what they had but really the sad thing about that show is that they never really came out of that mindset now, we can say that's endearing and sweet and all, but it's also kind of sad. It's kind of sad that they were blessed and didn't really know it. And I see a lot of believers today, a lot of the people who call themselves Jesus, followers of Christ, Christ followers, disciples, who are so blessed and don't even know it, who've been given so much and yet really don't see it. It's almost sad to know that, to see that so many people have been blessed with, I mean, I was thinking this week of just how much I've been blessed with, with friendships, how much I've been blessed with, with mentors in my life, how much I've been blessed with my family and my wife and my, and my, my, my son-in-law sitting right there. I mean, blessed with family. We were able to go to Houston last week and spend time with Chris and Casey. And by the way, Chris and Casey Pate say hello uh, to you. So if you'll say hello, I'll take it back. All right. I'll tell them you said hello as well, but we got to spend the weekend with them and see our grandbabies and just have a great time celebrating with city life church and just to be there and to hang out and go downtown to the aquarium in Houston and just, just enjoy time with the kids and playing. And it was just one of those moments where you just stop and go, I am so blessed. Rachel and I were talking, and she made a comment about, about rich kids. And it was a good comment. She just said, yeah, those kids are really rich. And I said, well, we're really rich. And she goes, yeah. And I said, no, no, no. I said, we're wealthy here, baby. I said, we're wealthy where it matters. And she goes, oh, that's right. I mean, she got it. She understands. But I, I, it saddens me to see believers that are so blessed. Now, I'm not talking about your current circumstances, by the way. Because some of you are already checking me off, going, well, wait a minute, you don't understand what I'm going through right now, and you don't understand how hard it is right now. Let me tell you something, I do. I absolutely do. But God, as Sammy said, 
but God. No matter what the circumstance is, I want you to know something. You are blessed. And you have more than you think you have. And you have, you've been given so much in Christ and because of Christ. Can I get an amen? Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And that was where I read earlier for the offering, but it's not just an offering scripture. It's actually a passage that has much to say about who we are. And we're talking about, and this is the third part in our series, Overflow. And today's title and and what we're dealing with today is exactly the the tagline I used a minute ago. And is this from obscurity to certainty, from obscurity to certainty. And I'm going to talk and unpack that a little bit. On week one, we talked about this, that we give based on a word. And we talked about the widow that Elijah the prophet came upon, and all she had was just a little bit. And she said, well, I'm just going to take this, and I'm going to make a cake for my son and myself, and then we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die because they were in a land of famine and in a terrible time. And, and the prophet said, look, if you'll just make me something first, bring it to me first. He was talking about first fruits and this, this, this mentality and attitude of, of putting God first in all that we do. And he said, if you'll do that, he said, then, then God will take care. And all she had was a word. In fact, when Elijah went to that city after he had been provided for miraculously in the desert by ravens coming to feed him and by a brook that finally dried up, he, he was literally already in the supernatural, already working in the miracle zone, and he shows up, and on a word, the Lord said, go. It's time to go now. So he went. And then on a word, she went and did as the prophet asked and said, all right, I'm going to do this. And based on a word, they were provided for. And the end of that story is that that her, her food supply never ran out. Why? Because God is unlimited in his supply. Can I get an amen? One of the morals of that story and our takeaways was this. Never limit how God can creatively provide for you and your needs. Never limit how God can take care of you. Because if he can do it through ravens and a brook, I figure he can do it a lot of different ways. Amen? That was week one. Week two, Pastor Rich talked about Abraham's test with his son Isaac and how God showed us who he was when he said, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I will take care of you. Now, I always say this, and those of you who've been around here hear me say this a lot. He says, I am El Shaddai, not El Chipo. Can I get an amen? A lot of times we have this attitude of keep them poor, keep them humble. We, we don't want to talk about money and finances. And right now, and I listened to a debate uh, with uh, Greg Lowry, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, and a bunch of guys sitting around in this, this, this uh, Mark Driscoll and others talking in, in the, the, the debate was called The Elephant Room. And it's a great series of, of talks. James McDonald's another. And they were talking about the danger of a theology of poverty that is becoming very popular right now that is kind of a reaction to a lot of the prosperity teaching that happened throughout the church, particularly in the 80s and 90s. There's, you know, the pendulum tends to swing. And now there's a pendulum swing, particularly with the younger generation, to really embrace, and David Platt's one of those, uh, to, to really embrace this, this poverty mindset, a poverty mentality, or as James McDonald calls, a theology of poverty, where somehow by saying, if we're poor, then God's going to get more glory out of our poverty. The problem with that is it's not biblical. And we don't like to talk about money in church because it makes us uncomfortable, but sometimes the Bible was not designed to make you comfortable. 
So we need to talk really frank about what the Bible says and about what God says about supply and how God wants to take care of our needs, not only meet our needs, but move us into a place, you can see it on the screen, of overflow. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly. Do you think he was just talking about joy? Do you think he's just talking about peace? No, he's not, because he's basing that off of an entire thinking pattern based off of Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. And it's the Abrahamic covenant, which is our covenant in Christ. Because of Christ, we've been put under that covenant, whereby it has been said of us that we will be blessed so that we can what? Be a blessing to others. So I don't want just enough. See, God wants to take my just enough and turn it into more than enough. Why? So I can be a blessing to others. Can I get an amen? All right. Now let's look at at, uh, at week three here. When we sow in obscurity, we will reap in certainty. The word obscure, we'll look at our passage in just a minute. The word obscure literally means this, hidden, not discovered or known about, uncertain, not important, vague, hidden, concealed, and shadowed. Now, the word certain, I want to define that as well, means known. So if obscure means hidden, then certain means known. To know for sure, established beyond doubt, confident, having complete conviction about something. And it literally means to be specific. So if we are sowing in obscurity in that which is hidden, then we will reap in certainty in that which is known. Why? Because God's a good God. Can I get an amen? Mark chapter 4. I want to reread our our parable. Mark chapter 4, Jesus in a series of parables says this, and he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter or sow seed on the ground. And should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. Leave it there, Randall. He himself does not know how. Now, the picture is very simple. you got a farmer, a guy who's sowing seed. He's getting it out on the ground. And then he goes about his business and does not worry about the process. Now, what happens in us is that we tend to, to give, to sow, and then fret over the process. We tend to worry about, okay, if I write a check to a ministry, to a church, if I tithe, if I sow, if I if I give, then we tend to worry and fret over what's going to happen with that as as opposed to trusting the fact that God is in control and that God can do with it what he wills and that just as he created the earth to do what it does, he will see too the fact that it will multiply into exactly what he's designed it to do and be. So he says, and should sleep by night, rise by day. In other words, go about your business and quit worrying about it. If you've sown, then there will be a harvest. That's the promise. And as you sow in obscurity, you will reap in certainty. You sow in what's hidden, you will reap in the light and what is known. He says this, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. Isn't it good that I don't have to be a botanist to know that if I put a seed in the ground, it's going to spring forth into whatever it is. If it's a flower and I sow a, uh, sow a seed of a flower, I just know it's going to produce a flower. If I sow an orange seed, I know it's going to sow an orange tree. It's going to sow that kind of fruit because like seed produces and bears like fruit. Does that make sense? 
So, he says, he himself does not know how. Why? Because he doesn't need to know how. Thank the Lord. Let's go to the next one. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. In other words, as I said earlier, there is a process involved. Someone say process. Now, go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And we will start in verse 1. There's a whole amazing passage here that I want to, I want to visit. Are you still with me? Acts chapter 10. What we have here in this book is, in this particular section, is that we have God showing up to a Gentile who was not a Christ follower. He was a God-fearer, but not a Christ follower, and we'll see the progression of what happens. Look in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Let me pull it up. Randall, actually, you can help me out there. That would be even better. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. So he was a soldier. He was a military guy. Can we, can we give it up for the military guys? Come on now. He was a soldier. He was stationed at Caesarea. It says this, he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. So we get a little bit about his character, a good man, devout, committed, devoted. But he feared God with all of his household. And then look what it says. He gave alms, who gave alms or offerings generously to the people and prayed to God always. Now you're going, wow. Now you've got to understand something. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. So this was not your typical Jewish guy who followed the law, but he was a God-fearer, so he believed in God per se. So he did some things here, and interesting enough, what he did got God's attention. Let's go to the next verse. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and calling his name, Cornelius. Now look what happens. And when he observed him, he was afraid. Someone say, well, duh. If a nine-foot angel walks in the room, I'm probably going to be a little bit nervous myself. It says this, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms. Notice what he says. What you have said to the Lord and what you have done, what you have sown on his behalf, what you have said and what you have done have come up for a memorial before God. You have gotten God's attention with your words and with your giving. With your words and your giving. Let's keep going, Randall. Now, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Now, we we won't read the whole passage here because it's long, and you can read it on your own. But let me tell you what happens. God gives him a command through this angel and says, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find this guy, Peter. I'm going to send him your way, and he is basically going to do this. He's going to preach the good news to you. Now, this gets Cornelius excited. I mean, he's blown away, and he operates based on the word. Someone say, on a word. Based on this word, he now begins to gather family and gather people into his home because in his mind, he is certain. He is sure. 
He is confident. He knows that, all right, this angel has spoken, so I'm going to operate based on this word. So there's going to be a guy named Peter who's a Jew who's going to show up at my house. Now, you've got to understand something. There's a problem with a Jewish guy showing up and hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles. You just don't do it. So some laws are about to get shaken up. Let me just say it this way. Some religious laws are about to be broken. And God has a way of taking our religious stuff and just shaking it up. Can I get an amen? So he says, here, go. he's going to be waiting for you. Send for him. And then, uh, and then what's going to happen is we're going to come back together. Now, go to verse, Randall, if you would, go to verse 24. So here's what happens. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Who's they? That's Peter and his guys that are with him. They're on a word. You've got to understand something. Everybody here is operating on a word. They're operating on the word because they believe the word is certain. So on this certainty and in this belief, here they go. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. What? You mean this Gentile was just sitting there waiting for these guys to show up? Yes, he was. Why? Because he believed on that word. He stood on that word and had called together his relatives and close friends. In other words, there was a big old home group, big old life group, just ready. And here Peter walks in, and all these people are just sitting there waiting for him, all based on a word. Don't tell me God can't speak and God can't get a word to you. Let's keep going. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. I mean, he's like, man, if an angel told me this guy's coming, he must be something else. So Cornelius just reacts, and he falls down, and look what happens. But Peter lifted up saying, look, stand up. I, I myself, I'm just a guy, okay? I, I, I'm just a guy. Now look what happens. Verse 27, as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Okay, their life group was waiting. Verse 28, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation, but God. Someone say, but God. There's a lot of but gods in the Bible. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Let me tell you something about, about his heart. When God spoke based on a word, he said, I will not judge another man, even according to everything I've known in my religion. I'm going to shake that off, and I'm going to go with the word that God says. And this is exactly what happens. Keep going. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then. See, he didn't even know. For what reason have you sent for me? He doesn't even know why he's there. He shows up. There's all these Gentiles who all his life he's been taught are unclean and that he's not to associate with, he steps into their house. That'd be like some of you stepping into a brothel. And all you've ever known about these women is that they're prostitutes. And all you know is that they're unclean. And all of a sudden, God says, go in there and preach the gospel. And you step in, and it's a whole other world that you've never seen. When Peter steps into that house, he's stepping into a foreign world. And even admits, this isn't normal for me. This isn't typical. Now look what happens. So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Now he explains the vision and explains what happens. Now, let's go, Randall, if you would, all the way down to verse 44. 
as Cornelius has all these people assembled and waiting, now Peter begins to speak the gospel. He begins to preach the word. And look what happens. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Someone say, on a word. While he was speaking, the Holy Spirit came. Now, this looks a lot like Acts chapter 2, but you have to understand the difference. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jewish people. This is revolutionary. This is, this is beyond amazing. Where now, the, see, we see it from our perspective here. We go, ah, that's cool. No, no, you need to understand, if this didn't happen, none of us would be here. If this moment didn't happen, if these people were not obedient, if these people didn't operate exactly on what God said, and let me put it this way, if Cornelius hadn't, in obscurity for years, sown, given, prayed, believed, and feared God, he would not have been the agent who God used to bring the gospel, the good news to us, the Gentiles. And what you need to understand something is that this is our Pentecost. This is our moment. This is when we were brought in. Romans chapter 10. This is when we were grafted in. Right here, right now. This is historical. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Keep going. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. Notice that last word, also. So just as the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jews in Acts chapter 2, now in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit is now poured out on the Gentiles, on us. So that's shouting ground. Somebody ought to say hallelujah, amen, or wow, or something. All right, now, here's what I want to say out of this, because we could go on, and there's so much to unpack, but I'm going to keep this real simple today. Cornelius labored and sowed in obscurity. We never heard of Cornelius before. He was a military guy stationed in Caesarea doing what he did, and in obscurity, hidden. In obscurity, hidden away, he gave. In obscurity, hidden away, he prayed. In obscurity and hidden away, he feared God. He believed. Let me tell you something. There are some of you here that you've just, you feel like everything you've done has been in obscurity. Everything you've done, everything you've been involved has been hidden. No one's patted you on the back. You haven't been handed a microphone and invited to speak. Everything you've done has just been behind the scenes. Sometimes our worship team, man, they feel like, okay, yeah, we're on a stage and the lights are on, but I'm hidden. I'm back here. I'm just serving. I'm just doing what I do. I'm just, especially back here in the cage. I'm just, I'm just, or, or Randall back here and, and Lawrence doing sound, these guys, all in obscurity, just laboring, sowing, laboring, sowing. Let me tell you something. What we sow in obscurity and is hidden will be revealed and there will be a harvest. Come on, somebody, a harvest. That will be known in certainty. And let me tell you something. God is good because he always completes what he starts. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. In 2006, there was an amazing moment that happened that inspired the nation. Some of you have seen the video. We're going to show it in just a moment. A little boy they called Jay Max. His name's Jason. He was born in 1987, autistic. 
And he grew up loving the game of basketball. His older brother played. His dad had been a, been a, a college star, actually, back in the day. And so he grew up with basketball in his blood, but he was autistic. And the odds were against him that he would ever get to step foot on a real basketball court in a uniform and actually play the game. So he did the next best thing he knew to do. He served because of his passion, his enthusiasm. The head coach of the basketball team invited him to come and be the manager, the general manager of the team. And so here in this, in this little town, this little school in obscurity, this young man became the general manager for the varsity basketball squad. And on the last game of the division playoffs for a division title, the coach had a surprise for Jason. Jason was 17 years of age, a senior in high school, and he said, I'm going to do something for him. Someone say in obscurity. He'd been hidden for a long time. And with four minutes and 33 seconds left in the game, the coach, well, what he did is he, he had him suit up for the first time, put him on the roster and had him suit up. First time ever. He's a senior now. And finally, he's getting to put on the uniform that he had folded, washed, taken care of for the rest of the team. Now he's getting to put on a jersey for the first time. And the coach just wanted to bless him in that. And so the coach has him put on a put on a jersey and 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 he sits on the sideline through the whole game enthusiastic and excited not really expecting to play but but it but the game becomes a blowout so that they're like double digits ahead and the coach thinks why not and he calls Jason off the bench in the last game of his senior year with 4 minutes and 33 seconds left on the clock he puts J Mac in the game. Now, I want you to watch what happened. Some of you have seen this video, but it's about five minutes long. So go ahead, Randall, and roll the video. What I love about that story, and they highlighted the fact that in an empty gym for years, J Mac shot baskets. Because it'd be easy to think that the miracle was that he got put in a game and then just all of a sudden, just out of nowhere in obscurity, just all of a sudden, just started shooting the lights out. He'd been shooting the lights out of baskets by himself, in obscurity, unseen, hidden away. But the principle's the same, whether it's a game or whether it's life or whether it's your finances or whether it's, it's what you need in the moment, that God loves to take what's hidden, what's obscure, what's been done behind the scenes, and then throw it into what is certain. Throw it into what is known. Throw it into the limelight and the spotlight because what it does is it brings honor. It brings inspiration. It opens the eyes of everybody. And some of you feel like you've been living in obscurity and nobody's listening. That you've, been, you've tried to give and nothing's happened. You've tried to be good, but it didn't seem to be producing anything. You've, you've, you've tried to sow in a lot of different arenas, and yet you feel like it's not getting anywhere, like you're not getting any traction. Now, let me just say something. There will be a but God for every one of you if you will not give up. If you will not quit. If you will not cave in. There will be a but God moment for you because what you've done in obscurity, what you've done that's been hidden, 
God takes delight in producing it and throwing it into the light. So that things like this, which is a moment where we go, my gosh, that's amazing. And yet every one of you, every one of us here, right here, right now, have the opportunity and potential to have the same kind of moment. It may not look like that. It may not be about basketball, but it will be about life in some arena or another. I wrote my wife a letter because it's our 19th anniversary today. Thank you. But let me tell you, there were some obscure years before our marriage began. Some dark days. But I wrote to her in this letter, I said that what we have labored for and fought for after going through a divorce and being so shattered and so broken and so destroyed and then for years laboring in obscurity, hidden away. And I told her, I said, God is working on a trophy. He is working on a masterpiece. He is creating something amazing that sometimes it doesn't feel good when the hammer blows and the hits from the chisel and the hammer and the heat from the furnace and all the things it takes for God to produce a masterpiece that's all done and hidden. It's all in obscurity. But I, and I wrote to her and I said, but let me tell you something. God is producing a trophy of grace a trophy of grace that will be put up on the spotlight. It will be known. It will be certain. And God will be glorified and lives will be touched because people need to know that broken people can be healed. Because people just like you need to know that there's hope that if you've blown it and you've missed it and you've had a hard time and life's happened and the bottom's dropped out, there is hope because what has happened in obscurity will be known in certainty. And that has to do whether it's your giving, it's what we sow will be reaped in in certainty. And I want to encourage you today, you feel like you're just hidden away. Let me tell you something, God's working on a masterpiece. He's building something. He's crafting something. And I don't, I don't like being put on an anvil any more than you do. But let me tell you something. It produces. It produces. It produces. And God will have the last word. And God will get the glory. Amen? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, in Jesus' name.